going to be preaching on the wisdom of God, particularly since there's so much that is unwise out there. Huh? Yeah. It's interesting that Dave is starting to read through the book of Luke because I came across a commentary that was on sale and his commentary was based on uh, what the words mean based on the culture of the time, which is how you're supposed to interpret it. And so when I redid sort of this message, I realized there was a lot missing. So I want to start out with the scripture that really hit me, uh, James chapter 3. Starting at verse 13, Father, we come to you in Yeshua's name and ask for your spirit, your ruach, to uh, fall upon us and work with us and speak to our hearts, not only here, but who's ever listening on the podcast. Whatever is of you, I ask that you would highlight, and whatever is not of you, I would ask that you would ask people to discard it. But may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Thank you, Lord. So James chapter 3, verse starting in verse 13 to 17, talks about two different kinds of wisdom. Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, let him show his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, and not hypocritical. And most of my scripture reading will be from the the Tree of Life version. And uh, what we'll talk about is the basic definition of what's wise and what isn't, and then in future we'll talk about that list about first pure, then peaceable, etc., and we'll find that when you look in scripture and dig into what it means in the Greek, that uh, there's um, a wider, not a wider range of meaning, but it's somewhat different than um, particularly pure. So we see from the opening scriptures several points. One, wisdom is shown by deeds, not just words. We're James, Jacob said, let, by his good conduct, let him show his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. Two, we see what wisdom is not. It is not selfish, jealous, boastful, or contentious. Three, rather, wisdom from God is pure, it's holy, it's gentle, it's not hypocritical, it doesn't put on an act, and so on. In this series of sermons, we will examine what are the basic definitions of godly wisdom and its fruit. The wisdom from above 
from God is very different from the wisdom from the world. And one of the things I realized when I was going through this commentary, there was a lot of commentary, it was like 7,800 pages, that, that we need to not interpret scripture by the contemporary culture, but by the culture that exists at that time. And one of the things that existed back then, particularly in the Roman world, in a lot of the pagan cultures, is what's called an honor-shame culture. And we still see evidence of it. And I've never really studied it, but when I saw it, how people reacted and what it meant in scripture in a shame, honor-shame society, the means of, this is from Wikipedia, the source of all wisdom. <laughs> um, well, it's the only definition I could find. Yeah. In a shame society, the means of control is the inculcation of shame, which is um, how the means of control is how shame is instilled in people. In the complementary thread of ostracism, the shame honor worldview seeks an honor balance and can lead to revenge. A person in this type of culture may ask, shall I look ashamed if I do X? Or how will people look at me if I do Y? Shame cultures are typically based on the concepts of pride and honor and appearances are what count. And all you gotta do is look at Yeshua or the Father or the Holy Spirit and realize he doesn't do any of those things. He could care less whether you like what he does or not. Um, which is why everybody hated him. No, not the Father, not the Holy Spirit, not his disciples, but beyond that, nobody understood him. And so what ends up happening is, is as we'll see in a few minutes, is the more important you were, the more people paid attention to you and there were certain stratas of society where, like women, like as we see shepherds, that weren't even, couldn't even testify in a court or a rabbinical court. They're, what they say or did meant nothing. And um, so God's wisdom is very different from the world's. It operates differently and can seem unusual. Where the world seeks out the powerful and well-known, God in his wisdom does the opposite. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, Paul says, For you see your calling, brothers and sisters, that not many are wise according to human standards, or, or flesh is what it means, directly. Not many are powerful, and not many are born well. Yet God chose the foolish things of the world so that he might put to shame the wise, and God chose the weak things of the world so that he might put to shame the strong, and God chose the lowly and despised things of the world, the things that are as nothing, so he might bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human might boast before God. But because of him, you are in Messiah Yeshua, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and holiness and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in Adonai. So you see God in his wisdom is completely opposite from us. He flips the standards. He um, 
I was going to say he takes our standards and flips it on its head, but actually he flips it right side up. We're the ones that have it on his head, on our head. So in James chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, it says, or as I, and as you see, um, Paul said, if you look around in a congregation, there are not many people who are really wise or powerful or rich, even though there are some congregations that seek out that stuff. Um, Paul says the vast majority of them are not that way. That's the way God designed it. So in James chapter 2, verse 1 through 4, it says, My brothers and sisters, do not hold the faith of our glorious Yeshua the Messiah while holding favoritism. For if a man with a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your synagogue, and a poor person in filthy clothes also comes in, and you pay special attention to the one wearing the fine clothing, and you say, sit here in a good place, and you say to the poor person, stand there or sit by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions between yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? So James takes the wisdom of God and said, you're supposed to treat everybody the same, rich and poor, when you're not to show any favoritism. So that's the wisdom of God demonstrated. It's different than the world. So consider the birth of Yeshua, the Messiah Yeshua, and this is something I learned from looking at this commentary. It's something I sort of picked up. God chose not to tell Augustus or his household. He didn't tell the Roman Senate or the Roman army about the birth of Messiah. He didn't do any of those things that we would do. We'd be running around and telling the governor and the president and all this stuff, depending on how big, you know, important you were. The angels didn't announce the birth to the high priest. Other priests or any of the other leaders of Israel, although it was in scripture through prophecy. Rather, the Lord announced it to society's rejects, shepherds. People with no standing in Israel, the Lord also chose a couple with no standing, Miriam and Yosef, to raise the child. In scripture, God has consistently chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things that are strong. So that I can't even imagine anything close to it. That'd be like God announcing the birth of the Messiah to somebody that cleans the toilet or picks up the trash rather than go to the governor and the Senate and stuff like that. We wouldn't do that, but that's what God does in his wisdom. Consider the sheer number of pastors and elders that are in the world. Yet how many are well-known, famous, and powerful? With all the media, one would think that every pastor is famous, but actually very few are well-known when you actually stop and figure it out. Personally, I, and this is my personal opinion, I think social media can give one the false impression that they are more well-known than they actually are, or that people or that more people actually pay attention to what they say or do than what is actually true. So a lot of people voice their opinions, and people are definitely free to do so, but I think sometimes social media gives people the impression that more people are actually paying attention to you. 
very few of us have a thousand people liking us. Yeah. Yeah, we as the body of Messiah seem to consistently seek out the strong, the famous, and the powerful. In fact, the vast majority of pastors and elders are not well known or famous or powerful and never will be, except to the Lord. So as I said, there are two types of wisdom in the world. There is the wrong type of wisdom, the wisdom from this world, the wisdom not based on the word of God, unspiritual, the wisdom from the demonic realms. The world is filled with half-truths, half-lies, seemingly full truths when they're not, and people spouting so-called hidden wisdom, Gnosticism, and truths. Look at all the philosophies and religions of the world. Ancient Greece was a culture dedicated to discussing the latest philosophies and religions to see if they would accept it into their culture. And that's actually what Paul was doing when he stood before the philosophers on the Areopagus. We think he was just witnessing, but what they were doing, Paul was going in there and witnessing, and they're like, well, we heard about this person saying these strange things. Let's listen to him. And if they didn't like what they had to say, Paul was gone. So Paul was on trial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the Lord was on trial. Yeah, the Lord was on trial. And they would have added a statue of, of the Lord if there had been one to all the other statues. Wisdom comes from God. Just like in Exodus 31, where God, the Lord speaks to Moses and said that Bezalel has been filled with the Spirit of God in all understanding and knowledge and all kinds of craftsmanship to make ingenious designs. And when Moses was commissioned, and Moses didn't want to do it, Moses, the Lord got angry with Moses, and the Lord said, and Moses said, I am a man, not a man of words, not yesterday, nor the day before, nor since you have spoken to your servant, because I have a slow mouth and a heavy tongue. So Adonai said to him, who made man's mouth, or who makes a man mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, Adonai? Now go, I will be with your mouth and teach you what you should say. And when the Lord said, please send somebody else, the Lord got really angry with him. So we need to realize that God is the only creator. We can create things, but the Lord's the only one that can create things from nothing. And he gives gifts to us whether they deserve it or not. The scripture makes it clear that God is sovereign in all things, particularly in people's lives. It is not that God is the creator of evil, but it is the Lord who allows it or not. God does not create evil, but allows it to happen and continue for his purposes and to his glory. So as we said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that Yeshua became to us wisdom from God we see in this scripture that Yeshua is wisdom not the very embodiment of wisdom from that would make the Lord beholden to an outside force rather Yeshua is wisdom from God 
who gives us his righteousness, holiness through his redemption. So Yeshua is not just a great teacher or somebody to look to. He is the very wisdom of God. You look to Yeshua for wisdom. Because, as it says in Isaiah chapter 1, that a shoot will come forth from the stem of Jesse, and a branch will bear fruit out of its, his roots. The Ruach of Adonai will rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and insight, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge, and the fear of Adonai. His delight will be in the fear of Adonai. He will not judge by what his eyes see, nor decide by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he will judge the poor and decide with fairness for the poor of the land. He will strike the land with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked. Also righteousness will be a belt around his loins, and faithfulness the belt around his waist. So Yeshua, the spirit of wisdom, not only rests upon him, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of God, they all sort of go together. Everything we need, wisdom, insight, counsel, might, knowledge, he, the proper person to fear, fear comes from God. The, the fear of God comes from God. We need to know the difference between the wisdom of the world and the wisdom of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17, Paul said that, For Messiah sent me not to immerse, but to proclaim the good news, not with cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Messiah would not be made of no effect. And in the original Greek, cleverness is the word wisdom. So Paul rejected fancy speech so that the, um, the cross of Messiah would be nullified. If we start uh, using our wisdom and our knowledge, then we start calling attention to ourselves. As Paul said uh, a couple of verses later, where is the wise one? Where is the Torah scholar? Where is the debater of this age? Hasn't God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For seeing that in God's wisdom, the world through its wisdom did not know God. God was pleased through the foolishness of the message proclaimed to save those who believe. So the Lord was literally speaking directly to the culture of that time which revered all these talking heads, so to speak, all these wise people, all these this wisdom, and said, I reject that because the Lord has rejected it. And he's made it very clear. And he also said, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom, proclaiming to you the mystery of God, so that your faith would not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And so, as it says, when we want to walk in wisdom and knowledge, Proverbs says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, and it, in Proverbs 9, it's the beginning of wisdom. And without the fear of the Lord, wisdom and knowledge will be anything and everything. Even pure evil will become wise, and those that propagate that knowledge will appear wise. 
All we have to do is look at our present society with its current debates on gender identities and other things. Biblically, there is no debate. Yet in the world, people that propagate that info appear wise and knowledgeable to others. Why? No fear of God. So they have to get saved first. These are just two of the myriads of scriptural wisdom found in Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is putting God first. The book of Kings and Chronicles constantly say whether a king is good or bad by what by whether they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, depending on what they did from God's viewpoint. When was the last time any of us saw things from the Lord's viewpoint on a consistent basis, not man's, but God alone? Solomon prospered because he had an encounter with the living God. And when he he had that uh, vision at Gibeon, and he had the vision where God says, ask me what I should give you. And Solomon asked for wisdom because he just felt completely inadequate to the task. And it wasn't really till he lost that perspective that he fell apart. Um, in Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah didn't become a prophet till he had that vision in the temple where he saw the Lord. And in the process, almost had a complete breakdown and but it wasn't till the Lord healed him and gave him a vision. Uh, and a calling to become a prophet to his people and to the world. And after he had that vision, the Lord said, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I, Isaiah said, Here am I, send me. And he said, he, the Lord said, go and tell this people. And then he gave his, um, the foundation of Isaiah's um, ministry. And I don't think that Isaiah would have been nearly as effective or powerful if he hadn't had that vision from God. As difficult as it, as it was, it was humbling. So a lot of people claim to see God, but have they? Are they more humble, more holy, more prone to giving and generous? Are they giving without expecting anything in return? Or are they more become more off the wall, more self-centered, more prone to self-enrichment? Matthew, Yeshua said in Matthew chapter 11, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. So in other words, the Lord is saying, it's what I do that proves I'm right. And what they didn't, some people didn't like, Yeshua is saying, no, what I'm doing is right. God chose to make known to us is the glorious mystery regarding the Gentiles, which is Messiah in us, the hope of glory. As Paul says, we proclaim him warning and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present every person complete in Messiah. And Paul says wisdom was something he wanted people to have, wisdom from God. He says, I will never stop giving thanks for you as I mention you in my prayers. <clears throat> that the God of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah, our glorious Father, 
may give you spiritual wisdom and revelation in knowing him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, which is the riches of his glorious inheritance in the Kedoshim. And Paul also said to the Ephesians, For this reason I bow my knee before the Father. From him every family in heaven and on earth receives its name. I pray that from his glorious riches he would grant you to be strengthened in your inner being with power through his Ruach, so that Messiah may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to grasp with all the Kedoshim, which is us, the Holy Ones, what is the width and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Messiah, which surpasses knowledge, so you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And to quote him in Romans to close, O the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how incomprehensible his ways. For who has known the mind of Adonai or who has been his counselor or who has first given to him that it may that it shall be repaid to him. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So that's what Job found out. He had beefs against God, but uh, until he, then he saw God and realized how wise God is and how unwise he is. <clears throat>